0: Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome once again to Vineyard Community Church as we continue on in a series we're doing called Naturally Supernatural. And um, this comes on the day, uh, the anniversary, uh, the weekend anniversary of 9-11. And um, particularly here, 10 years, uh, this... Uh, this anniversary is, is sort of a remembrance, and we're to remember the people that were uh, you know so tragically impacted by the events, the heroes of every type who rushed in to help. Uh, we're, we're to remember the, the courage that was evidenced in the face of terror, but we're also reminded that this world and the things of this world cannot provide for us the real safety and the real security that we all long for. That safety and security is found only in Christ. And so today, I want to talk about a remembrance that Jesus has given the church. It's a remembrance and a celebration because it reminds us of the lengths that Jesus has gone to on our behalf to give us a hope and a future in a fallen world. And this remembrance is known as Communion. And it took place during the Last Supper, a Passover celebration, which we were talking about last week in our series, and which we'll continue to talk about this week in our series on being naturally supernatural. We were in John chapter 13 last week, and we, we looked at, at Jesus interacting with his disciples during the Last Supper when it came to foot washing. But as that meal moves on, a Passover meal, there are some things that happen. And and from these events, we get what we take now as communion. It, it came right out of that Last Supper and what was happening. And, and that's what we're going to talk about in our short time together. Our scripture reading for today is John 14, 1 through 3. This is out of the message paraphrase. Don't let this throw you, Jesus said. You trust God, don't you? Trust me. There's plenty of room for you in my Father's home. If that weren't so... What I have told you that I'm on my way to get a room ready for you? And if I'm on my way to get your room ready, I'll come back and get you so you can live where I live. And blessed be the word of the Lord. Now, that's a pretty interesting verse, and there's some stuff in there that we need to understand. And I think when we, when we get a hold of what was happening here at the Last Supper, um, it helps us, as we talked about last week, really knowing who we are in Him. And it gives us a hope and a confidence in a world that um is kind of unsettling uh you know uh, the events of 9/11 probably brought that home to most of us that that uh that video it said that security is kind of an illusion here and it is because things happen and tragedy strikes and there's evil that exists in the world and yet as as his kids uh, as his followers as as the disciples of Jesus um we have a hope and, and a future and a promise that goes beyond our circumstance, and some neat stuff happens here at the Last Supper that uh, we continue to celebrate to this day. And and if you if you're not aware of them, uh, it, it, it will be very cool for you. If you are, it'll be a refresher as to why we celebrate communion and what we're doing and why it's a remembrance. So the Last Supper was a Passover meal. Passover was a feast celebrated by the people of Israel every year as a reminder of what had happened um, in their history when they were released from 430 years of slavery in Egypt. And this reminder was in the form of a meal, as most of the feasts are, and that's also why we like to have meals. Um, Lots of things are built into meals. Um, This particular meal told a story, and, and it was the story of the release uh, God's movement on behalf of the Israelites to be re- released from slavery. And it has a lot of very important symbols. Uh, and the symbols had two purposes. One of them was to help the people of God remember what had taken place. It was, a, it was a remembrance. It was a learning thing. It was passed on from generation to generation to generation. And these things were celebrated the same way according to the way the Scripture had, had implemented them. And there were these things that took place in the midst of these meals still going on to the time of Jesus, who who celebrated the Passover meal there at the Last Supper. Um, We know he also fulfills it prophetically, but he's he's carrying it on, uh, and it took place year after year. And um, the event event that it commemorated was God using um, Moses and a series of plagues to convince Pharaoh to let his people go. Pharaoh was very stubborn. It took ten plagues before he finally released Israel. And the tenth plague um, was the death of the firstborn. Israel was protected from this plague by killing a lamb without defect and putting its blood on the doorposts of their homes. Death then passed over, that's where the word comes from, their homes, uh, that were covered in the blood of the lamb, and they were safe. The firstborn of Israel was safe as long as they were in their homes where the doorposts had been covered by the blood of this perfect lamb. Now, the other purpose was to let them know when Messiah came that um, he would give them the ultimate deliverance from the ultimate slavery, which is to sin. And Jesus, Scripture tells us, is the Lamb of God, that perfect Lamb, who takes away our sin and his blood cleanses us and sets us free from the penalty of death. That's that's the two purposes in that feast and why it would be celebrated. So they would remember and so that they would see Jesus when he came. Um, they, they remembered, some of them got it, but not not all of them got it. Remember because they, they didn't want to see, um, they couldn't get, break out of their paradigm from the stream of prophecy they were following, and they wanted a political leader to reestablish the kingdom of David, and that's not what Jesus came to do first time. Second time, he will. So there's many, many symbols, but there's two that we've taken for communion, our remembrance that Jesus gave us. Unleavened bread and a cup of wine. Those are the two symbols that we use for communion. Now, the significance of the bread is that it's his body. And when he broke the bread during the meal, he says in Matthew 26:26, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. So he takes the bread, the unleavened bread, and he breaks it. Take and eat. He said, This is my body. John 6, 35 tells us, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. And so, um, Jesus is, is helping his disciples to see, in the midst of this Last Supper, this Passover meal, that he's the bread of life. He's, he's helping them tie this together. That's what he's trying to get them to do. Now, There's another neat thing that happens and has been happening throughout history in the celebration of the Passover meal uh, when it comes to this this bread that that we just broke. And um, this this little covering that I have here is called a matzah and uh, it's been around for a long, long time in recorded Passover meals. And the the, the bread that they used was stored in this matzah and it has three places inside. It's divided into three. And the piece of bread that we take for communion always comes out of the middle piece. Um, and, and that's the one that we use. And when you look at threes in the things of Scripture and everything else of God, you can usually find some meaning. And in particular, this one is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so the bread that we use in communion always comes out of that middle piece. It's that the Son piece. And it's a picture of Jesus breaking uh, his body for us. Now, another thing they did in the meal, which I, I, is very cool and uh you might have heard me talk about this before. But uh, during the, the Passover meal, they would take this bread that had been broken and they would take half of it and they'd wrap it in a white linen and then they would send all the children out of the room and they would hide it as part of the meal. Uh, and and then they would have the children come back in and hunt for it. And whoever found it got a prize. Now, just just trying to put pictures together... Uh, who can you think about whose body was broken and wrapped in white linen and hidden and now when you find him you get a prize eternal life it was a picture of what was about to take place and they'd been celebrating it for years and years in the process Jesus is tying it all together there at the last supper and so um, you know when we partake of the communion bread um, and we remember I always like to think of the afikomen, that we remember, and that it's it's a prize that we get. It's it's an amazing gift, eternal life, that comes to us in the process. Now, we also have cups in communion, a cup, but um, during the Passover celebration, there were several cups, four cups generally, and... um, I I have one up here. There's there's no wine or grape juice in it. I'm just going to talk about it. But I want you to write these down so that you can see what the cups are all about. And and you hear us when we celebrate communion. You always hear us talking about these things. And I want you to just remember what they're all about because it's a remembrance. So the first cup we always call is the cup of sanctification. This was part of the Passover meal. They would have celebrated it at the Last Supper. This cup would have been poured. Um, and and in this cup, God says to His people, "I will bring you out." That God will bring us out of bondage, slavery, darkness, and death. That's what this cup represents—the cup of sanctification. Then they would move on in the meal to a second cup, and it was called the cup of plagues. And in this cup, the the leader of the Passover service would recount the redemption story. Um, and this section was known as the telling. And, and it surveys kind of the whole redemption drama from the patriarchs to Moses to Pharaoh to the plagues and to the deliverance from Egypt. And in the telling of this story, they were passing on history, his story, to generations. And this went on year. See, every year it happened. And they had to celebrate these feasts. It happened year after year after year. They kept celebrating these feasts. And then they would move on to a third cup, which is called the cup of redemption. And it's with this cup that Jesus institutes communion. But there's more to the story than that. In in first century Galilee, when it was time for a man and a woman to get married, um, both fathers would generally get together if they were around, and they would negotiate what's called the bride price. And uh, recognizing that the bride would be a, a, a loss to her family, it would be a, a precious loss to her family, the, the groom's family would offer a um, something to try and cover the loss, and it was called the bride price and When they would negotiate a bride price when they get to it, the groom the prospective groom would take uh, a flask of his own wine and a glass and he would pour the wine into the glass and he would drink from the glass, and he would set the glass down now the the intended fiance had an opportunity at this point, and what she could do is If she was willing, because she had a say as well, not just her father, she had to agree, if she was willing to get married, she would pick up the glass and she would drink from it. And that was her way of saying, yes, I will marry you. And at that point, they were considered engaged. She was, in in, in effect, referred to as one who was bought with a price. And so she was distinguished at that point as an engaged woman. Now Jesus makes this abundantly clear to his disciples at that point um, when he takes the cup of wine and he says to them in Luke 22:20, 20, in the same way after the supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. So so his disciples get it. Jesus takes at that moment and makes a big shift in the traditional Passover celebration, and he brings into it the marriage ceremony. And, and he's, in effect, setting himself up as the groom and, and the church as his bride, and, and that's when he proposes. And when they drink from it, they accept. With all the imagery intact, him saying that he would pay the bride price and that the bride price would actually be his life, um, is what it was going to take. So when we take communion, so I think of the bread as the dessert, the prize that we find in Christ. We take this, and it's a remembrance that we're His bride. We're, He's coming. He's He's promised, and that He would pay the price and take care of us, and He's coming for us soon. See, because that's part of the imagery. Now, um, John fourteen one through three. I read it in the message. I want to read it in the NIV. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Now, again, um, we may not immediately connect with that because we're not sure what it was like to live 2,000 years ago uh, in in Jewish uh, community. But what would happen in that time is that families generally lived in um, clusters of buildings they called insulas. And what would happen is um, they, these these buildings were built around a central courtyard, and all of the family lived there, and grandparents, parents, children, everybody lived there. And when one of the sons was getting married, he would he would just build on to one of these buildings, and that would become his home. That's that's how it worked. Um, that still works in parts of the world, you know. There's still a lot of places that are like that. I've, I've visited them. And, and there's a home, and every time one of the sons gets married, they just stick another room on it, and that's there. That's where they live. So, um, uh, when they were going to get married, when when they had um, you know negotiated the bride price that had been paid, they drank from the cup, um, the sons would return to the father's home and would begin building the home for him and his wife him and his his bride to be. And until he had it right, he couldn't go back and get her. Now, because um, a a man would be anxious to get his his bride, um, he wasn't the one who determined when the house was right. The one who determined when the house was right was his father. And until the father said, go, he couldn't go. He had to wait until the father said, okay, it's all ready now. You can go and get your bride. And that's when he would return to get his bride. Now, see, Jesus describes his second coming this way, because he uses the picture of a young bridegroom waiting for his father's approval to return for his bride, Matthew 24:36. "No one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the Father." He's using this illustration, see? He go- say, "I'm going to build a house." when I'm coming back. Well, only the Father will know when I can come back for the bride because He's the one that's going to send me to go back. He's the one that says go. He's the only one that knows. Now, that word no one there, I did some study on um, in, uh, in the original language. And that word no one means not even one, man, woman, or thing, i.e., none, nobody, nothing, any man, ought, man, neither, anything, never, man, no, man, none of these things, not any at all, thing, not. Now, why am I making that point? Because we're talking about fear, and people wanting to stir up fear all the time and terror. People are always telling people that the world's about to end, and trying to get them all fussed up over it. The whole Mayan thing in 2012 that, that has been going on for several years. Um, the, the, the guy recently who said, you know, it was going to happen, was that in May or something, and then it didn't, and then it's October. And people listen to all this stuff, and they get all worked up. Listen, that verse says, no one knows. It wasn't revealed anywhere else in Scripture. It's not anywhere else for us to find out. No one got it. The Mayans didn't hear. The aliens aren't coming to tell us. None of that stuff has happened. No one knows but the Father when Jesus is coming back. No one. And in that, you can find great comfort. You don't have to listen to all the other stuff that goes on. You just kind of smile. I just smile and go, sorry, no one knows. And and I've spent time studying that word, no one, to see if there's any little hiccups in it. There's not. No one knows. So, when the groom finally wins the approval of his father, hey, it's finally ready. Because, you know, men, you know, they just would have tried it real quick and he, no, it's going to be right before you go and get her. Um, He would travel then back to his bride's village, wherever that was, and he would blow the shafar, the trumpet. And that would signify that, that they were they were going to get wedding. The the wedding day had arrived. Now listen to this, first Thessalonians four sixteen and seventeen. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and after that we are still alive, and our left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. It's a perfect fit into this imagery that the Lord gave us at communion Okay, he's uh, the, the prize that we find in eternal life and he, he went there with the breaking of his body and the pouring out of his blood was a picture of him uh, paying the bride price and offering his life for ours and then saying I'm going to go and make a place for you when it's ready the Father will send me back and I'll blow the trumpet and we'll catch up together there and we'll be together forever see that's our remembrance and that's where our hope comes from. And that's where our joy lies. Because in, in this world, things are messed up sometimes. It's a fallen world. It's not always easy. Things happen that we don't understand. Tragedies take place. And yet we have this hope in him that he's coming back for us. Now, there's a fourth cup. You see it over there on the table. We never. You'll, you'll notice we never pour it. People ask me what it's the cup of. In the Passover it had a it had a purpose, Elijah's cup, and they would celebrate it. Why we don't? And now we're moving into more of a Steveism, so so I'm letting you know up front that this is why we don't do it here. I we can I'm back up all those other three cups, no problem. This is a Steveism. It comes from this point. Matthew twenty six twenty nine. I tell you, Jesus said, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. See, I believe this one is the promise that we get to drink with him at the wedding feast. And so we keep it empty and we wait for him and we'll celebrate it with him. Uh, Revelation 19, 7 and 9. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Jesus is the bridegroom. We're the bride. We're to be wisely waiting for his return. Living a naturally supernatural life the way he modeled for us with our hope and security and peace found in him and his promises. And it's in that hope and peace that we can live The kind of lives we're called to in the midst of the chaos that is often all around us. It's coming back for us. See, he's he's done everything he said he would do. He paid the bride price at the cross. He defeated death and rose again. And now he's just waiting for the Father to say, go get your bride to come back. And only the Father knows when that'll be. But it's coming. And then we'll celebrate cup number four with him. And so when you take communion, that's our remembrance. You think about those things. I, I like to think about all the time, when I think about his, his body broken for me, I think about the afikomen as well, and that, that in finding this, I get the best prize there ever has been, eternal life. I drink from the cup, and it's like saying yes to the proposal all over again. And yes, God, I know that you love me, I know you've done for me, Jesus, and I know you're coming back for me soon. And Lord, let my life, be used wisely as I wait for you to come. So I wait for the trumpet call, the sound to ring out, saying that the wedding day has come. And I look forward to that day. See, that's our remembrance. And that's what we have. And that's where our hope is. Amen? Amen. If you're watching on television or by video, thank you for watching. We're we're so glad that you you have. If you need anything, call us, write us, uh, email us, let us know what we can do, and we will. We appreciate your prayers for us also. We're going to close tonight in prayer.